I'm JG Michael, and this is Parallax Views. Hello, this is Mike Swanson. In a few moments, you're going to listen to another segment of Parallax Views. But before you do that, let me tell you about my new book, Why the Vietnam War. It's a sequel to my previous book called The War State, which has lots of positive reviews and Amazon's been out for years. But this one is a more detailed case study of how American Empire National Security State operate using Vietnam. And I believe it shows also how things work today, how policy is actually made and why. So grab the book on Amazon.com, Why the Vietnam War. This edition of Parallax Views is brought to you by the $10 and above tier supporters of Parallax Views on Patreon. So, with that in mind, producers credit shoutouts to Gunner, Mark, Alexander, Catherine, Tilo, Emilia, Jeff, John, B. Lund, Brian, Elliot, Michael, Brace, Nick, Galen, Arlen, Bo, Chance, Chase, Dan, David, Gary, Ishtofer, James, Martin, Matthew Ho, Nobody, Thomas, and Dano. And now on to the show. Hey there, Parallax Views listeners. On this edition of the program, we're going to be delving into a rather fascinating and not so heavily discussed topic, namely why some pious Orthodox Jews oppose Zionism. And that includes Orthodox Jews who are currently living in the state of Israel. Joining us to unpack this subject is Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, host of the Committing High Reason podcast and author of The Empty Wagon, Zionism's journey from identity crisis to identity theft. Now, I've had a number of different voices on over the years to discuss Israel, Palestine, Zionism, and related subject matter. That includes people who I would say are more to the liberal Zionist end of things, as well as people who call themselves anti-Zionists or non-Zionists and of course a number of Palestinian voices. What I haven't had on the show before is an Orthodox Jewish voice that opposes Zionism on a religious basis. It's not a view you often hear from, but I thought it would be interesting to speak with someone coming from that perspective. And that is why I invited Rabbi Shapiro on the show. Now, a lot of people believe that the conflict between anti-Zionist Orthodox Jews and Zionism mainly has to do with the question of the Messianic Age. Uh, In other words, the idea that the Jewish state cannot be created until the arrival of the Messiah. Rabbi Shapiro, however, takes issue with this. Uh, he, He believes that, you know, the way we talk about that doesn't get at the root of his opposition to Zionism. 
That's just one aspect of his perspective we'll be discussing in this conversation. There's a lot more we cover, including the Jonathan Pollard spying case and much, much more. So with all that in mind, let's get right to it with Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, host of the Committing High Reason podcast and author of The Empty Wagon, Zionism's Journey from Identity Crisis to Identity Theft. Welcome to Parallax Views, a guest that I'm very interested in speaking with. He's a scholar, international speaker, and author of the book, The Empty Wagon, Zionism's Journey from Identity Crisis to Identity Theft, and also the host of the Committing High Reason podcast, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So, uh, Rabbi, the reason I wanted to have you on the show was because I'm interested in the subject of uh, the Orthodox uh, Jewish perspective on uh, Zionism. And of course, you've written a whole book about this, The Empty Wagon, as I mentioned. Uh, But before we get into that, maybe you could give my listeners an insight into what it means to be uh, an Orthodox follower of the Judaic religion. Sure. And actually, after I explain what it means to be an Orthodox follower of the Judaic religion, um, we'll pretty much understand uh, much of the Orthodox opposition to Zionism. According to Orthodox Judaism as a religion, according to Orthodox Judaism, when God gave the Torah to Moses on Mount Sinai, he created a people. The people were called the Jews, Jewish people. And they weren't necessarily, they didn't necessarily use the title Jews at that point in time, but the people became a people. That's the only thing that unites us and makes us into a people. The Jews significantly received the Torah from God in the desert. There was no country that we had. We were not in the Holy Land yet. We were a ragtag refugees from Egyptian slavery. Um, We didn't have a government. All, we didn't have a, much of a culture. Uh, all we had was the Torah. And as the verse in the Torah says, Hayoyim hazen today you have become a people. And a people, by the way, in those days, doesn't have the same connotation as when we say nation nowadays. The word nation today, the political nation state, is a relatively modern term. It means a society. The word am in Hebrew means a society. The Jews are a society put together only because they received the Torah. That means that we are obligated in to fulfill 613 commandments. Um, the rest of the world is obligated to fulfill seven. Judaism is a universal religion, and uh, there are seven Noahide laws that everybody in the world is obligated to fulfill. Those who are obligated, who are deputized into a, a, a obligation to fulfill 613 commandments, We have a name for those people. They're called Jews. And if a person doesn't believe in the narrative of the giving of the Torah, then from our perspective, he doesn't believe a a Jewish people exists. The only, the definition of a Jew is somebody who's obligated to fulfill those commandments. If you don't believe that, then you don't believe the Jewish people exist. You may think you do, but the word Jew to such a person is a homonym to the word Jew to us. You can call it Jew, you can call it whatever you want, but it's a homonym. 
That's the only definition of Jew. The only thing that puts us together is, is our religion, our goal. The goal of this people, the society that was created, is to be, as the Bible says, a holy people, a nation of priests, a nation of scholars. And throughout history, uh, success and pride was dependent upon how much an individual, as an individual, or the community, the society as such, uh, succeeded in studying the Torah, um, fulfilling the commandments. Compare it, if you want to, or more of an analogy than a comparison to, I know, the Shaolin monks that sit on the top of a mountain. They have their own society, their own uh, way of life. We do, too. In fact, uh, about a thousand years ago, the Jews uh, asked in Spain to be put into a separate society where we could live our own life. They call them ghettos. The ghettos were not something that was forced upon us, at least not at the beginning. The Jews wanted to live in a uh, secluded society because that's our mission. Uh, there was a historian, a Cambridge historian, Salo Baron, his name was. He had a very good line. He said the locks on the inside of the ghetto doors were there before the locks on the outside. And the truth is the locks on the inside were stronger. In fact, in Egypt, when the Jews came to Egypt in the biblical story, we asked to be holed up in a city called Goshen, which was kind of like those days ghetto. And all we want, all the Jews want is to be loyal members of our, our countries. I'm an American. My family's from Poland. Uh, I don't have, Judaism is not a nationality. Being Jewish is not a race. We have Jews from all races. Uh, it's not a nationality. We have Jews from all nationalities. There is nothing that, there's no common denominator between Jews that are considered national characteristics. There are Jews all over. They speak all sorts of languages. Yes, it's true. Jews in biblical times spoke Hebrew, but that is not what made us Jews. Uh, there were kingdoms of Saul, David, Solomon, but that's not what made us Jews. Those were just ways for, you know, if you, the next, the, the thing that's better than a ghetto even is to have uh, your own theocracy where you could fulfill the Torah on a national, you know, on a national level without having to deal with uh, an outside community. If your community is the outside community, that's even better. So there were advantages to that situation, but only religious advantages. Our structure is only through religion. Our goals are only religious um everything else we're like everybody else in the world and all we want is to be left alone to sit quietly pay our taxes to the country and live our lives here like any other americans i mean i live here in new york and let me fulfill my religion and be part of the nation of priests and a holy people that's orthodox judaism the rest is commentary now, with regards to uh, Orthodox um, opposition uh, to Zionism, I think this is a very interesting topic because it's it's not something that's spoken about a lot or people will say, oh, this is uh, completely marginal. Why even talk about it? But I think it's very interesting. You know, I was reading uh, the the novel, the Hayam uh, Patek novel, uh, The Chosen recently. And uh, that actually, what was that? Mm -hmm. That that actually deals with um, no. this issue within the the Jewish world. Um, 
between opposition to Zionism and support for it. So I think it's always been a debate that's existed. Maybe you could get into the history of that debate and figures like um, uh, Joe uh, Teitelbaum, uh, just just the history of um, opposition to Zionism within the Orthodox world. Right. Um, the I, I think a more a clearer way to frame it is Zionist opposition to orthodoxy because orthodoxy was here first and Zionism actually came in order to oppose orthodox Judaism. Um, that was really the point of Zionism. Without understanding orthodox Judaism, you'll never understand Zionism, which is part of the reason why this whole Israeli Zionist uh, Middle Eastern conflict or whatever you want to call it, is not so easy to solve because people don't even understand what Zionism is. If during the Enlightenment, the emancipation, so the Jews weren't in the ghettos anymore, they didn't have to be if they didn't want to. For the first time in many, many centuries, they were allowed, in Europe I'm talking, uh, they were allowed to uh, go to universities and to pursue other uh, types of lifestyles other than the Mamalechus Kaihan and the Goy Kodosh. And there were Jews that did, they thought that by assimilating, meaning dropping orthodoxy, will become Russians, will become German, will become French, then there won't be any anti-Semitism. And because indeed, the only difference between a Jew and a non-Jew is this religious difference. Once you drop the religious difference, there won't be any more anti-Semitism and they will be able to uh, be just part of society. And of course, especially in Europe, we're not talking about the, the Orient or the Middle East. We're talking about in Europe, most anti-Semitism was Christian anti-Semitism. For centuries, the only people in the Middle East, in the Europe besides Christians were Jews. We didn't have Muslims. You didn't have a critical mass of Muslims in Europe. Um, so they figured once you drop the religion, we're no different than regular people, which in fact is true according to the Jewish religion. Without the religion, we are no different than anybody else. No other difference. They believed that. The problem was it didn't work out so well for them because the anti-Semites still hated them. And by coincidence or divine um, intervention, however you want to look at it. Uh, as the emancipation and the enlightenment developed and the more and more Jews increasingly wanted to drop the religion and become regular assimilated uh, people, there was a new type of anti-Semitism that was developing at the end of the 19th century, the racial type. Oh, the Jews are a special race, which culminated in Hitler and Mein Kampf and that the Jews are a race and the Jews really aren't Germans and the Jews really are. So this racial type of thing kept developing and that would apply also to non-religious Jews, right? Because they are, are the wrong race, had nothing to do with religion anymore. And for various other reasons, anti-Semitism did not end. So in the late 1800s, horrific pogroms broke out. Uh, it started in Russia. Then there was, of course, the Dreyfus uh, issue, the Dreyfus affair, and they, they were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. This was, in the subtitle of my book, From Identity Crisis to Identity Theft, here was the identity crisis. They didn't want to be Jews because they did not like Orthodox Judaism. Uh, being a kingdom of priests and a holy people means that you don't care about winning gold medals you don't care about having a strong military. You don't care about physical strength at all. Again, by way of analogy, think of 
well, the Shaolin monks, you know, they, they're busy with their martial arts. But eliminate that. Think of a, a uh, group of, of priests and holy people that just want to study their texts and be in, we don't, we, we believe it, it's uh, in our Talmud. Who is strong? He who conquers his own urges. Who is honored? He who honors others. Who is rich? He who is happy with what he has. And things like that. There were Jews who didn't like this. They wanted to be strong. They wanted to be um, a material. They wanted real money. They wanted to be like everybody else. No problem. They tried it. It didn't work. The anti-Semites still attacked them lethally. So now they're stuck. They didn't want to be Jews. And the Gentiles would not let them be Gentiles. So what to do? There are various, that's, there was their identity crisis. Are we Jews? Are we non-Jews? Well, we're nothing like the Jews, but why don't the non-Jews let us in their society? And there are various different solutions they came up with. There were Jews who became communists, right? They figured, well, if, uh, the reason why there are so many Jews communists, they figured communism is good for the Jewish people because for people that were discriminated against and uh, vilified, uh, communism is the hope that uh, everybody's going to be treated equal. Well, that's what they thought, okay? There were those that started Bolshevism. There are those that became revolutionaries. There were all sorts of different ideas that different people had, different Jews had joined this movement or create that movement. One of the ideas was Zionism, because in the 1800s, nationalism was very popular. Uh, the Balkan people, everybody was becoming a nation. The nation state was replacing monarchies and even religion uh, was being replaced by uh, the civic religion of, of nations, right? Uh, people's loyalty were to each other, not no more to the king. And they, they figured there were Jews that figured, well, the, the reason why people don't like the Jews is because, well, we're not like anybody else. So we need to make our own nation. Leo Pinsker, before Herzl, he said that. There were Zionists before Herzl. Emma Lazarus, a Statue of Liberty fame, she was a Zionist. Uh, Leo Pinsker was a Zionist. Moses Hess was a Zionist before he was uh, somewhat of a, he had a big influence on Karl Marx. He was a Zionist before Herzl. And they had all sorts of ideas about what, what, to do with the Jews, you know? Meantime, the Orthodox Jews had an idea, well, let's just to continue. You know, we had our own theology about anti-Semitism and uh, why it happens, but this is our religion. God gave us the Torah and that's it. Um, as it turns out, the Zionists were the dominant uh, movement amongst all these Jews, if only because the rest of them were killed in Europe. Zionists left Europe for the most, not, not, not totally, but most Zionists, many Zionists left Europe and created a movement in the Middle East, in Palestine. So when Hitler came and destroyed all the Jewish communities in Europe, the Jews in Israel, the Zionists were still there. So that's one of the reasons, probably the main reason why Zionism was the, the most successful movement amongst the uh, amongst the Jews between the Bolsheviks and the communist Jews and the Zionist Jews and not to mention you know the communists didn't like the Jews etc so the Zionists had this idea that we got to become a, a nation the only problem is Jews 
don't have any national characteristics. What are the national characteristics of nations? Common language, common lands, common culture, they have flags, they have national anthems. The Jews didn't have any of these, none of these, because we weren't a nationality. So the Zionists figured, look, we have no choice. In order to have some self-esteem, that was really the thing, in order to have some self-esteem, to feel good about ourselves. We want to be like other people, but the only way we're going to succeed in doing this is if we become not only as individuals, we become like everybody else. As a group, we have to become like a, a national societal assimilation, a transformation of the Jewish personality, of the Jewish aspirations, the Jewish goals. No longer will we want to study the texts all day and to be religious. What we're going to want is strong military, winning gold medals, winning Eurovision song contests and the like. That's what we need to do. But in order to do that, in order to change our personalities, there's actually a quote from Yosef Chaim Brenner. In order to change our personalities, we need a country. In order to get a country, we need to change our personalities. So here's what the Zionists did. They said, okay, we're going to transform the Jews into a nationality. First, let's give them a language. What's a good language for the Jews? Well, Herzl didn't really care much about a language. He figured that Jews won't be successful in, in reviving Hebrew or in creating a new version of Hebrew, uh, which is more of what it was. But there were others that said, no, we're going to create a language. And they invented modern Hebrew in order to give the Jews national characteristics. And being a Jew, prior to 1948, prior to Zionism was, well, speak Hebrew. We're going to give the Jews a flag. They had a flag before they had Israel. They, the Kurds have a flag. They don't have a state. So they kind of made themselves sort of like the Kurds, a stateless people. They made a language. They made a, uh, at least a land that was their goal. They made a, a culture, the Zionist culture. They started making Zionist youth groups, Zionist military groups, Zionist kind of like amateur Olympic groups to transform the Jews into everybody else. They invented a history. All of Zionist history is invented. It's synthesized. The Zionist Jewish personality is synthesized. Zionism was to create a synthetic people that would look at themselves as a nationality. And after they would acquire a land, which they did in 1948, then now you have a national education system. Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel, hired a man by the name of Ben-Zion Diner to create an entire fake history of the Jews that said that for thousands of years, the Jews just wanted self-determination. It's not true. You see, what the Zionists did was, in order to recruit Jews, they took religious Jewish concepts and desanctified them. They made the holy into the profane. The land of Israel was a holy land. It's not a homeland. It's not a national homeland. It's a holy land. It's just as holy if the Turks own it, if the Mamluks own it, if the Romans had it. The Zionists changed that. It's not a holy land. It's our national homeland. It's what France is to the French. The holy It's not true. The holy land is more like a synagogue to the Jews. They said, no, it's a national homeland. Your language is not a holy language. That's our national language. That's part of what makes us a people. It was never what made us a people. It was a way 
we served God by speaking that language, either in prayers or in ancient times all the time. Um, the the change the personality of the Jews. I, you know, I'll give you an analogy. I always say this. Imagine I wanted to change the Christians. I want to take the Christians and make them into a nationality. I don't like the Christians, let's say. I don't like what they are. I don't like all this religious stuff and, and this, uh, you know, I don't like any messianic ideas. No. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a land for the Christians. Oh, you know what? Even better. I'm not even going to make them into a nationality. I'm going to make them into a baseball team. And I'm going to say, Jesus, he invented the Christian baseball team. The Gospels were all stars. And the Christians were always baseball players. But throughout their history, because of various different reasons, these priests and uh, uh, teachers messed things up. And they had this fake idea that Christians are a religion. So I'm going to straighten them out. I'm going to get them a stadium to play in. I'm going to get them equipment, bats and balls, and I'm going to make uniforms with pinstripes that say Christians across the chest. And I'm going to say, if you want to be real Christians, play baseball. Forget about what the uh, you, your grandparents thought Christianity was. That's not really what it was. I'm going to make schools. And in the history books, I'm going to say this is what Christianity always was. And by this method, you can transform the people, the Christians from religion to baseball players. They did this with the Jews, except instead of making them baseball players, they made them a nationality. We'll get you a country. We'll get you a land. We'll get you a language. And, and you always valued the Hebrew language. You always valued this land. Yes, but we didn't value it as a national land. We didn't value it as a national language. You invented that, Zionists. That's why Orthodox Jews, Zionism is literally an attack on Judaism. It literally desanctifies everything about our people. The I, I was going to say real quick, if I could, it, it sounds like, uh, you know, the holy, the idea of the holy land, it's always going to be the holy land, right? Mm -hmm. um, whereas turning into like a secular nation state, you're you're sort of making it temporal, you That's know, exactly, not concerned with the spiritual world. Exactly. The, Zionism is a transformation from of the Jewish people from a spiritual, holy people to a national, temporal people. That's what it is. That's why I'm an orthodox opposition to Zionism. If you understand what Zionism is, then there's no nobody has any question. Now, you may have heard, which is also true, that the Jews are not even permitted to have a, a state before the Messiah. That's true, but that's a side thing. I was going to ask no, about that, but go on. That's true. That has nothing to do, really. It's true. The, the state of Israel is not allowed to exist as a Jewish state before the, the coming of the Messiah. But that's, that's what Zionists want everybody to think is the orthodox opposition to Zionism. And the reason why they want you to think that that's the extent of the opposition, is because they want you to believe that the Jews were always a nationality. The Jews are always a, a people, a political people. It's just that they were religious Jews, just like they're religious Greeks. The Greeks have their Zeus, and the uh, Zeus had various different uh, beliefs or whatever. And the Orthodox Jews have beliefs that now is not the time 
for Zionism. We have to wait for the Messiah, whereas the Zionists believe that, no, let's not wait, let's just do something on our own. And the only difference between the Orthodox Jews and the Zionists is in timing. They have actually said this, but that's a lie. The state of Israel, the way it is now, no Messiah is ever going to uh, make such a thing. We have no interest in such a thing. The only reason why we want the Messiah is for us to be able to Remember I told you that the Jews survived in the ghettos and then it's even better to have your own country? Well, it's even better to have a messianic revelation and transformation of the world so that the whole world recognizes God and the whole world recognizes holiness and the whole world is holy. And that's what's going to happen when the Messiah comes. And we'll be able to pursue our religion and our texts. Uh, and so will the whole world recognize that without any impediments. That's why we want the Messiah. No other reason. It not, have no interest in self-determination. It's not politics. The Zionists actually, uh, they desanctified the whole concept of a Messiah. So when we say next year in Jerusalem, we mean next year the Messiah should come and we'll all be in Jerusalem. It doesn't mean self-determination. It doesn't mean conquest. It doesn't mean sovereignty. So I would forget about that. That's a detail about whether that we're not allowed to have a, a state. The point is, the Jews are not a political people. We don't recognize, is, there's no such thing as a Jewish state at all, in the sense that Israel claims to be one. Israel claims that they represent all the Jews. Israel's nation state law 2017 is that Israel's the nation state of all Jews. Jews don't have a nation state, even when King David, had his uh, monarchy, there were Jews and non-Jews that lived in it. There were non-Jews that lived in it. And if you were in King David's monarchy, you were he was your king. If you didn't live in it, he wasn't your king, right? Um, in fact, there was a civil war and there were a split between two Jewish uh, nations. There was Yehuda and Yisrael. But no, no country in the world, by the way, no country in the world claims to be, like Israel does, claims to be the state of people because of their ethnicity or however Zionists want to define Jews. You know, is the, you always hear the Zionists saying that there are, I don't know what, how many Arab states and there's only one Jewish state. But let me tell you something. There's not a single Arab state in the world that exists in the sense that Israel claims to be the Jewish state. No Arab state, no Muslim state claims to be the nation state of all Muslims are all Arabs. They all claim to be the state of their citizens. All countries are like that. Israel is the only country not that way. Israel claims to be my country. See, Israel changed the definition of Jew, my Jewish identity, into some type of nationality of which the nation state exists 6,000 miles away in the Middle East. The whole idea is an attack on my religion, but the Zionists don't want you to know that. The Zionists want you to believe, just like there's a nationality, let's say the Greeks are a nationality, there's religious ones, they believe, those that believe in Zeus and Hercules, and you know, they're gods, and there are those that are, don't believe in their gods. So to the Jews, there are Jews who are religious that believe in our God, and there are those that don't, but we're all one nationality. Wrong. That's Zionist propaganda. The Zionist concept of what the Jews are does not exist. There, what they call the Jewish people does not exist. It's a synthetic, artificial people that was created in order to transform an ancient people into an ancient religion, into a nationality, in order to transform their personalities, in order to eliminate anti-Semitism. Herzl said in the last page of his book, The Jewish State, 
As soon as Zionism gets off the ground, the anti-Semitism will disappear. Zionism was the biggest failure in history. It failed to eliminate anti-Semitism. It failed even, there were those Jews. Funny thing, because the Orthodox Jews that joined Herzl at the beginning, you know, Herzl could have had Uganda, there was a Uganda plan. It wasn't really Uganda, but he could have had other places besides Palestine. Um, the Orthodox Jews that were Zion, considered Zionists in those days wanted somewhere else, not Palestine. They said, all we want is a safe place to live. We're not interested in transforming the Jews into another people. And they were anti-Zionists in that sense. But they figured that they're going to leverage Zionism to get some kind of safe place. Herzl and the other said, no. We need to take Palestine and make it into Israel because this way we could channel the the, Jew, the Orthodox Jews wanted to leverage Zionism. The Zionists wanted to leverage Judaism. They said we could leverage Judaism and and bring out those feelings that the Jews have had for two thousand years for holiness and for God, desanctify them, and channel them into nationalism rather than religion. So, so Zionism is, by definition, it, it's it's literally the negation of Judaism. It's interesting because one thing I know you've talked about a lot is uh, how Zionism is sort of unlike any other type of nationalism in, it, in that it doesn't just claim to represent the citizens of the nation, but a whole people, even if they don't live in that nation. Could you speak a little bit more to that? Sure. Um, and I really think that um, anybody who's against Zionism, whether Jews or not, needs to know this, because this really is is the weak point in in the whole ideology of Zionism. Every country in the world represents its citizens, and if you go, let's say, to Italy, and you immigrate there. And you start off, let's say, even you're an ethnic, uh, I don't know, Brit, you're a Briton, okay? You come to Italy, you become a citizen, your children grow up there, their children grow up there, you fight in the Italian army, you speak the Italian language, you eat the Italian food. Eventually, you'll become Italians, right? And you are just as much integrated into the country as the ancient Italians. Every country is like that. And the country itself claims only to represent its citizens. Perhaps in some way, the alumni of the country, I, I using that word, also have a nostalgic connection to the country. My family's from Poland. I don't consider myself Polish, you know, uh, but back then in the olden days, my family was from Poland. I'm a full-fledged American and my children are even less connected to Poland than I am, but maybe, you know, an Italian-American can still fly the Italian flag because they once lived in Italy or they were from Italy. And, and in the same way, corporations, you know, they dole out benefits to their employees, but also to the families of their employees. So there are countries that have laws of return. Germany, that if you were from this country, this land, you're an ethnic German, you know, you can come back to Germany, that type of thing. Israel is an exception. Israel claims to represent all Jews all over the world, more than that, to be the country of the Jews all over the world. This means two things. Thing number one, if you're a non-Jew in Israel, you have no self-determination rights. You may have civil rights, but not self-determination rights. That's Israeli law. 
It's a basic law, which for all practical purposes is the same in other countries as constitutional law. They don't have a constitution. Um, you Self-determination rights is unique to the Jewish people. That's their law. So if you're there, you don't, and you're not Jewish, you don't have self-determination rights. But if you are not there, I never lived in Israel. My father never lived in Israel. Nobody, uh, well, really my father's mother did, but uh, no, if nobody lives in Israel, I, because I'm Jewish, have self-determination rights in that country. And Israel claims to be my country. Netanyahu claims to be my prime minister. When Netanyahu came here to speak to Congress about Barack Obama's Iran deal, he said, I'm here representing not merely the people of my country, but all Jews all over the world. He said even 100 generations of them. Israel looks at itself as the state of the Jews, not the state of the Israelis. This is why, so long as Israel, and there's no other country like that. I once had a a debate with um, Einat Wilf. Uh, I don't know if your viewers know her. And I mentioned this. This is the weak point in Zionism. And she had no answer. Later on, she said, well, well, um, um, the the head of Turkey, um, Erdogan, he uh, said that he represents the Turks in France that had a right to vote in Turkey. So that's not the same thing. If you are a former Turkish citizen, you move to France, and if you still have a vote, then that's one thing. And by the way, they were angry at him when he said that. But to, I have nothing to do with Israel. All I want is that Israel should stay out of my life. To me, Israel's like China, but they claim to be the state of the Jews. Therein is the problem. Everybody said this. Mayor Kahana said, you cannot have a, a democracy, a democratic state, and a Jewish state also. John Kerry said, you cannot have a democratic state and a Jewish state also. The only question is, which one has preference, right? Which, which one precedes the other? But you cannot have it. Now, Zionists will tell you, well, what do you mean? There are plenty of countries that have national religions. Yes, but you see, Z Jewish state, the adjective Jewish, when it used by Zionists in the phrase Jewish state, does not mean the national religion. It means the national nationality. In fact, by Israeli law, there's no such thing as an Israeli nationality. You're Jewish by nationality and Israeli by citizenship. Again, there is no such thing as an Israeli nationality. There's a Jewish nationality. And although there are countries that have national religions, right, even like Britain, you know, has uh, the Church of England, they're not referring to religion. They're referring to nationality. There is no other country, no other democracy in the world that says that they are the country, the nationality, only of a certain uh, segment of their people based on what? Based on their arbitrary definition of who these people are. You know, part of the problem is that Israel has not defined what it means to be a Jewish person. They claim they're the state of the Jewish people. The problem is that they claim they're the Jewish state, and they don't even—they cannot define what a Jew is. Uh, there are various different answers given by various different Zionists, but they claim to be the Jewish state, and they use that in law, the law of return. They use that as the explanation for their behavior in, you know, in the settlements, why they want to remain a Jewish state, but they can't even define what a Jewish state is because they can't define what a Jew is.
It's not a race. They're Jews of all races. It's a nationality. But what national symptoms do all Jews have in common? I mean, I'm an American. Uh, if is, is Israel my state or is America my state? If America and Israel have a conflict, who, am I, who should I be loyal to? Well, we know I sent you the article. Jonathan Pollard said all Jews should, he would advise American Jews to spy for Israel. Yeah, for people for people that don't know, or if I have younger listeners, Jonathan Pollard uh, is probably one of the most notorious um, spies in, in in American history. So I, I was going to ask you about that that article and just your thoughts on the Jonathan Pollard case. Jonathan Pollard was a spy for Israel. By the way, he wasn't interested in saving Jewish lives like Zionists say. He he sold his information for money. Israel bought his information and he spied on America and he did tremendous damage, tremendous damage. Um, they gave him a life sentence, which was he was later let out after uh, 30 years, I think. And he moved to Israel, where now he got where, where now he says that all Jews should take after him and American Jews. He would give them advice to spy for Israel because Jews have Jewish loyalty, uh, dual loyalty because they are Jews and Jews that don't have loyalty to Israel, political loyalty to Israel. Uh, there's something wrong. There's, there, that's a that's a bad that's bad, and uh, all Jews should do that. Now, this is a very symptomatic of Zionism, because there is no other state. If you're an Italian American, Italy is not going to say that openly that nobody in Italy is going to say, well, if you're an Italian American. Now you still have political loyalty to Italy and you should Italy is your state and you should spy on America for Italy. Israel, because they claim the Jew, they, to be the Jewish state, meaning the state of the Jews, meaning my state. If it's my state, I owe loyalty to it. You know, Zionism is is evil. Even from that perspective, it's evil because it creates anti-Semitism. When a guy like Jonathan Pollard says something like that, OK. The dual loyalty trope is is enforced is it's encouraged it's actually verified by a prominent person in the state of israel and when israel says that they're the state of the jews that is the dual loyalty trope my excuse me my country is the united states of america my religion is judaism if you don't like that leave me alone what right do you have to put a target on my back i have no interest in israel israel's like china to me and that's why Statistics show that whenever Israel gets involved in some controversy, they bomb Gaza or something, right? Jews all over the world are attacked. Attacks on Jews all over the world go up. Now, nobody should attack any non-combatants, right? That's, that's bad. When America put Japanese in the camps during World War II, that was bad, okay? But here's the thing. Even a criminal... There are bad actors out there. There are criminals. But even a criminal, let's say they want to attack regular civilians because of Israel's actions. Why attack Jews? Why not attack Israelis? I'm not telling them to attack Israelis. It's wrong to attack anybody. But you remember when the uh, COVID came to America, so people were attacking Chinese people in Chinatown here in New York. Now, that was wrong. But it would be insane for people to attack Irish people because of a, a Chinese virus, right? It's evil, it's wrong, it's wicked. It's criminal to attack Chinese people, but nobody would attack Irish people because that's nuts. 
why is it not nuts to attack Jewish people because of what Israel does? There are criminals out there. There are bad actors out there. There are people who will beat up Chinese out there. And those same people will beat up Jews because of what Israel does. The problem is Jews have nothing to do with Israel. Israel causes trouble for Jews all over the world. If there would be a way, there isn't, as far as I, I'm concerned. But if there would be a way to just move back the clock in time and not make Israel, I would show all the Jews in 1948, you know, in the future, a time machine, look what Israel did to you. I don't think they would make Israel. The Jews, the Zionists, I don't think they would make Israel if they would see what it would do, unless, unless there are Zionists who don't care. They're more than willing to have Jews hurt. They're more than willing to have their own children in danger because Israel is the most dangerous place for Jews to live anywhere. Right, it's safer everywhere that Jews live, except for Israel. Uh, more than Israel, they don't care. But they, their self-esteem, their trauma that they've had throughout the ages, and their indoctrination and brainwashing by the Israeli school system and the Zionist ideology tells them: so what? Jews get hurt. So what? Jews get killed. It's worth it. The choice is either this or Holocaust. There is no third choice. I, I was going to ask you that. Uh, what do you say mm -hmm. when people? argue and and i do think this is a, a powerful argument for a lot of Go people ahead. and I, i've thought about it at times uh, you know well the jewish people they need to avoid another uh incident like the holocaust so that's why we need a state like israel how do you respond to people that make that argument a few things thing number one let me ask you something let's assume all the things you said is true in order to maintain israel you have to have wars people get killed right Okay, tell me how this is insurance policy you're saying will make wars, people will get killed, all these bad things happen, because in case one day there's a Holocaust, and in case they're able to escape, and in case they're able to get into Israel, then it'll be worth it. Tell me the premium for this insurance policy that people die, they get killed, all these bad things that are happening. How many people, how many lives is it worth it to pay in the to pay in the premium? In case there's a Holocaust and in case Israel turns out to be a, a, uh, a, a safe place for Jews. Give me a number. So far, about 30,000 Jews were killed in Israel. Never mind all the anti-Semitism and problems it causes all around the world. How, give me a number. Is it worth it? Like, where does it stop? If there's no Holocaust for another 200 years, was Israel worth it? 300 years. Tell me when there should be a number two. Israel, the Zionists could have had Uganda. They could have had uh, Alaska plan. If that's what they wanted, they could have had it. They had a messianic idea, a transformation idea to create Israel. If all Israel was, was a place, a, a safe haven for Jews, we could discuss that. But it's much more than that. Why do they have to make the nation state of the Jewish people tell me? Is that an excuse, even if that would be true, is that an excuse for saying they represent all the Jews? Is that an excuse, is that a reason for transforming the definition of what a Jew is? No, Zionism and Israel is much more than just that. You know, it's like saying, we're going to force all, you know, we're going to, we're going to create, we're going to have slavery. And we'll say, well, uh, what if there is a Holocaust in the homeland of the slaves? It's good that they're here. Well, hello. You're doing a lot more than creating a safe, than transporting people from place A to place B. The Zionists did a lot more than create a place safe haven. Number three, 
Israel's the biggest failure, because if there is going to be, God forbid, another Holocaust, the odds are it'll probably be in Israel or because of Israel. If there is any, right now, the biggest chance of another world war centers around the Middle East conflict, right? Or one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest chances. And Israel, you know, if there is another Holocaust, right now is Israel safe? Israel keeps keeps talking about existential threats, nuclear Iran's. You know, I, I don't. I'm not worried about a nuclear Iran. The people in Israel are. If there isn't going to be another Holocaust, God forbid, the Zionists are the first ones to say that Israel is in existential danger, nuclear Iran, things like that. I'm safer here in America. You know, I'll take my chances here in America. So there are a million arguments against that. Number one, Israel's much more than just a place for Jews to go. It's a whole ideology, and it sacrifices lives for its ideology. Number two, it, it, it's an identity theft against Jewish people. Number three, they didn't need to, to make it over there. They could have made it somewhere else. This is their own decision to do it there. So it's not even a good faith argument, you know? Um, I talk uh, to liberal Zionists and they say, that's all Zionism is. It's just, you know, a safe place for Jews. But it's not. That's a denial of the history of Zionism and the ideology of Zionism. And if you look in their... You know, I always tell them their national anthem or their declaration of independence. There's not a word about a safe place for Jews. It's all about a fulfillment of that's the word Hatikva means, means the hope, the 2000 years hope of the, that the Jews had, the, the non-existent hope for self-determination in our land. And this is a fulfillment of the aspirations and longings. Zionism is not that. And even if it would be that, it wouldn't be worth it. Like I said, I... I I'm I'm taking my chances here in America. I don't think it's worth the wars and the problems that Israel makes in case uh, the situation should happen in the future that Israel would be a haven for Jews in a case of a Holocaust. So I, I wanted to come back to something real quickly here, which is the um the this the the sort of dual loyalties issue, the dual loyalties trope, because you know, I, I can see how that that trope has been used against a number of groups uh, in America at different times. You know, there was the Japanese American internment camps during World War II, or mm -hmm. I, I grew up Catholic. So, you mm -hmm. know, I always think about how, you know, JFK, when he yes. uh, did his campaign, he was accused of having dual loyalties to the Vatican. So mm -hmm. I can see how th that trope of dual loyalties uh, can be used against innocent people. But then at the same time, you have Jonathan Pollard himself saying, Oh no! Uh, all all uh, American Jews should have a sense of dual loyalty. So, how do we square all of that? Because I do think uh, the dual loyalties accusation has been used against innocent people in the past uh, from different groups. Uh, but it seems like Pollard is saying, "No, this is a very real phenomenon as well." It's not only Pollard. When Netanyahu comes and says he represents the Jews, when people say Israel is your country, Israel's the state of the Jews, that itself is a dual loyalty trope, because Israel is not my state. Israel's the state of the Israelis, you know? I'm not an Israeli. It's as simple as that. How do we square it? We don't square it. It's indeed a problem. And whereas by the Vatican, though, the Vatican has religious, you have religious loyalty to what the Pope says if you're a Catholic, correct? It's not political loyalty. 
correct? Everybody has loyalty to their religion, to their family, etc. But national loyalty is to your country. Jews in America are Americans, and we have loyalty to the United States of America. But according to the ideology of Zionism, according to the law in Israel, the 2017 nation-state law, my country is Israel. By definition, by Zionist law, by Israeli law, I should have dual loyalty. Look, even what you said before, that in case of a Holocaust, Israel's going to be uh, my safe haven. Let's just take that, okay, without any uh, nation-state laws. The reason why uh, people have loyalty to their country, it's a social contract. If people in California are attacked, people in New York are going to go defend them, right? They're going to go to the army. In I pay taxes. In return, I have the state protects me, right? But what happens if I'm taught that it's not my country that's going to protect me? It's going to be some country 6,000 miles away. My country, there'll be a Holocaust. My country won't protect me. Listen to this idea. My country won't protect me. In fact, my country will perpetrate a Holocaust. That's what they're saying, right? Or if they do, my country won't protect me. They'll just give me up like the Vichy uh, uh, French, French gave up the Jews to the Nazis. Who's going to protect me? The state of Israel. So tell me, who do I owe my loyalty to morally? You see, Zionism in itself, the idea, Zionism is the idea that there's a connection between Jews and the state of Israel, a national connection. That is a dual loyalty trope because national loyalty automatically accrues to the nation state and the nationality of a people. If Israel is the state of the Jews, Israel is creating a dual loyalty trope. By the way, Adolf Hitler and Mein Kampf, I believe it's chapter two, either two or 11, because I don't remember if it was Roman numerals or not, that, that has the chapter head, right? He says that Jews are not real Germans, and I'll prove it to you. Just ask a Zionist. The Zionists say that Jews are a nationality, and other Jews that aren't Zionists don't disavow the Zionists, okay? So it's the same thing. We don't square that. Israel is... Zionism is anti-Semitic in that sense. And by the way, it's a win-win situation for the Zionists, because if there's more anti-Semitism because of them, their answer is going to, all over the world, their answer is going to be, come move to Israel. You heard of the Lavon affair, right? They, they Zionists, Israel loves anti-Semitism all over the world. And by the way, this idea that Israel is the state of the Jews is core to most Zionist positions and behaviors. I'll give you an example. Now the big thing is anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism, right? Of course, that's nonsense. Uh, what does one thing have to do with the other? But if you want to know why they say that or what they want to instill in your mind by saying that, you look at the way people like Netanyahu explain it. Netanyahu said this. Avigdor Lieberman said it. It's on Israel's website. It's in Netanyahu's book, A Place Among the Nations, I think it's called. Uh, Danny Ayalon said it, and others as well. The reason why, if you're an anti-Zionist that makes you an anti-Semite, is because just as you cannot be against the existence of Japan, 
and say you're for the existence of the Japanese people. You can't be the against the existence of France and say, but I want there to be French people. So too, you cannot be against the existence of Israel and say, I want there to be Jewish people. In other words, is Japan is to the Japanese what Israel is to the Jews. See, without Zionism, Japan is to the Japanese, what France is to the French, what Israel is to the Israelis. That's normal. With Zionism, Zionism changes that. Zionism says Japan is to the Japanese, what France is to the French, what Israel is to the Jews. And that's anti-Semitic. The whole idea that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism is anti-Semitic because it ties Jews to some foreign country. I have a right by international law and a moral right to choose my country. If I don't like America, I could go to Mexico, and now Mexico is my nation state, right? But no matter where I go, because I'm born Jewish, Israel claims, Netanyahu claims to be my prime minister, Israel claims to be my state. Tell me that's not anti-Semitic. Is there any other people in the world that's tied to a particular state because of how they were born? And if I'm tied to their state, that means I owe them loyalty. And if they're going to save me from a Holocaust, that explains why I, I owe them loyalty. All of this, Zionism itself is anti-Semitic. So in an orthodox opposition to Zionism, I would say really that any Jew that's Jewish should oppose Zionism because of this. Now, um, none of this has to do with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And as I, you know, I explained to you previously, Whenever I speak about Zionism, people invariably ask me what I th this, think about this conflict. And my answer is that that question is a Zionist question. Why don't you ask me about, I know you didn't ask me, but theoretically, if you would, why don't people, why don't people ask me about what I think about China and the Uyghur Muslims? Why don't they ask me about sweatshops in Japan? Well, because you're Jewish, I want to know if you defend Israel's, you know, uh, crimes. Well, that's anti-Semitic. I'm Jewish, so I'm answerable for Israel. You, you're asking me, you're tying me to Israel. That's a problem for me. I want to be a normal American because that's what I am. I want to be a Jew, and that means that I accept my ancestors accepted the Torah on Mount Sinai. We believe our souls were there. My soul was there on Mount Sinai. And I want to be a, uh, a holy person and a, to the best of my ability, you know, uh, life's a struggle, but I want to struggle to be a holy person and a, a priest and study my texts and fulfill my religion. And I hang out an American flag on the 4th of July, and I'll pledge of allegiance. Just leave me alone. China shouldn't claim they're my country. Japan shouldn't claim they're my country. And Israel shouldn't claim they're my country. Leave me alone. That's all we want from the Zionists. Just leave us alone. They don't represent us. And if somebody comes to me and says, all the time it happens, all the time. Hello, you're Jewish. What do you think of what Israel did? I'm like, I'm not Israeli. I'm not Palestinian. Leave me alone. You know, what do you want from me? I'm American. See, that's Zionism. Zionism is anti-Semitic. So if we could, one thing I wanted to delve into with you is, um, and, and I, I hope I can word this all correctly, but uh, when we look at Israel today, there are, um, you know, Orthodox communities like like the Hederim uh, communities in Israel. And, and traditionally, they themselves are anti-Zionist. Mm -hmm. 
but they're living in Israel. And, and I think that confuses people how there is actually anti-Zionist groups in Israel. You know, there's there's younger Haredim that are now supporting, um, you know, figures like Smotrich. So how, how can there be these Orthodox groups in Israel that are uh, participating in, in, in the politics of Israel and whatnot right. if they're anti-Zionist? I think that confuses right. some people. So, so a few things. Thing number one, you asked about Orthodox Jews living in Israel. You asked about Orthodox Jews supporting Smotrich and Ben Gvir and, and this gang of misfits. And uh, then you asked about the Orthodox Jews uh, participating in the political process, right? Let's start with the political process. There are Arabs that would love to participate in the political process, and they did, right? That doesn't make them Zionists. The Orthodox Jews, when they agreed, there was actually a big debate amongst Orthodox Jews whether to participate in the Israeli process. There are Jews that don't vote, and there are Jews that refuse to be in their Knesset. The ones that, for this reason, the ones that permitted it, the ones that said it's a good idea, are did so for the same reasons that the Arabs do. Amongst the Arabs, there were boycotts of being in the government also, right? There were Arabs that said, no, we're not. This debate that the Arabs had is the same debate that the Orthodox Jews had. Their opposition is different. It's not that, you know, they want their own state, the Orthodox Jews, but the idea, the question was whether we should say we have nothing to do with this thing or look, let's fight from the inside. Let's fight for our rights. Israel tries very, very hard to destroy the Orthodox community. I, I they, was going to say, they, for people that don't know, they, they live in pretty uh, dire conditions. Um, yes. Th there's a lot of poverty, things like that. Yeah. There's poverty. And in order, in order to have a decent job, you really have to go to the army. And the, the Orthodox Jews don't want to go to the army. And for various reasons, uh, some of them are pretty obvious. Um, but you should know that in Israel, the Israeli army is not just a military. The Israeli army is an indoctrination camp for Zionism. It's a church of Zionism, I say. In the because see, because Jew, Jew being Jewish is the nationality of the Jews of Israel, and not just a religion. Uh, like in the American army, they would speak about patriotism to America. You know what is America? Things like that. In the Israeli army, they speak about what is Judaism. Judaism is a civilization. It's not a religion, and it's it's heretical. It's another religion. So, for various different reasons, uh, too numerous to mention now, uh, because we'd be here all day. Orthodox Jews refuse to serve in the Israeli army. There are those that do, for various reasons. But uh, that's one example of where the Zionists try to destroy the uh, Haredi community. Um, so there were those in the Haredi community that said, no, let's fight for our interests. Let's get a vote like the ones like the Arabs that said, you know, let's get a vote. Let's be in the Knesset. Let's even be in the coalition. Now, that doesn't prove that they uh, approve of Israel or Israel's actions or even Israel's existence. Right. What proves is that they have interests. And in order to protect those interests, they need a voice. That's why there are Orthodox parties in the Knesset. OK, second. Why do Jews live there? Well, again, Jews live in uh, today in Ukraine. Jews live in Spain. Jews live in Portugal. Jews live in America and Mexico. The point is Israel, whether it's the state of Israel or a British mandate or Ottoman uh, Empire, it doesn't matter. It's a holy land. If a Jew wants to live there, he can live there. The point is that Jew that lives there is not going to believe it's a Jewish state. 
look, America has this ideology of manifest destiny, right? Let's just, I'm an American. I don't believe in manifest destiny. I'm an American. I believe in democratic process. I just want to live my life over here. Your ideology, I have my own religion. I don't need yours. The Haredim in Israel say the same thing. Zionism is like a, a manifest destiny. It's an ideology that the Israeli government runs by. They don't believe in it. On contrary, they even fight it. But the fact that somebody lives there doesn't make him a Zionist. And the fact that somebody's in the government doesn't even make him a Zionist, like the Arabs. Now you ask, what about the ones that support Smotrich? What about Smotrich himself? Or Ben Gvir himself? They're kind of Orthodox Jews. And the answer is this. Just as by the Christians, there are different uh, groups. Uh, there are, let's say, Catholics. And then there are Protestants, Evangelicals. And if you ask a Catholic, they'll say, well, the evangelicals, no, that, that's basically a different religion, you know. Um, there are those even that don't even believe in a trinity uh, amongst Christians. Not many, but there are those. In Judaism, it's the same thing. There are Reform Jews, which I don't consider uh, my religion. I, uh, Islam and Christianity is closer to my religion than Reform Judaism is. Um, that's and it's. I'm not insulting. It's not an insult to Reform Judaism. It's just that uh, Christianity believes in the Creator of the world. They believe in the uh, historical uh, correctness of the Old Testament. Islam even believes in a monotheistic God, no Trinity, nothing. So Islam's even closer to me. Reform Judaism doesn't require belief in any of this. So ideologically, they're further from me than if you were talking about race, ethnicity, which doesn't exist then yeah, they're the same as me. And they're obligated in the 613 commandments? Yes. So that's what makes them Jews. But the religion they're practicing is further from mine than, than Islam is. Anyway, so too Zionism, religious Zionism, is so far from my religion. Um, like the Catholics and the Evangelicals. If you were to go to a Catholic and say, well, the Evangelicals are supportive of Israel, how do you explain that? What would you say? You'd say, well, I'm a Catholic. Those are the evangelicals. So now you're asking me as a Jew, well, what about those Orthodox Jews that are supporting Israel? My answer is they're the evangelicals. And by the way, in the settlements, they have a, a lot of support from the evangelicals. There are even buildings that are written, that, that are donated by evangelicals and they have their names on it. The, the John Hagee building or something like that. So they, they are, to me, what evangelicals are to the Catholics. You know, there's on the Venn diagram, we, there's certain beliefs that are common to both of us, like Catholics and evangelicals, but uh, the circles are not overlapping. Yeah, I was going to say there's even, uh, I, I mean, I know there's there's even liberal Zionists that you would have certain overlaps with in, in the sense of, um, you know, I, I know that uh, Peter Beinert, who considers himself a cultural Zionist, would say, well, you know, Israel claiming that it can speak for all of us or Netanyahu claiming he can speak for all of us, that in and of itself is anti-Semitic. And I think you would agree with him uh, on that, percent. even though, uh, you know, you would disagree on other areas. A hundred percent. And Peter Beiner, as far as I understand, considers himself an Orthodox Jew or somewhat of an Orthodox Jew. Um, but like you said, we would disagree on a whole lot of things, probably. Um it is true, yes. And Israel, I mean, how could anybody even disagree with that? That Israel claiming to be the state of the Jews, how could anybody claim that's not anti-Semitic? 
So I, I just had one or two more questions. I know earlier you had mentioned um, left-winger communist figures that were involved with the Zionist movement. I don't want people to get the impression that you um, only talk about, you know, oh, these these secular left-wingers uh, helped create Zionism, because you've also talked about uh, sort of right-wing Zionist figures like uh, Jabotinsky. So could you speak a little bit to that, the sort of right and left-wing of Zionism? Sure. Zionism, like most political movements like most countries have a left wing and a right wing. On the left wing was, let's say, Bear Borokov, Aaron David Gordon, and even Ben Gurion, who was a big fan of Lenin. On the right wing, uh, and by the way, kibbutzim are kind of a communist kind of thing. That was the idea, you know, and the labor Zionists were in power from the beginning because they just won the election. Um, the right wing Zionists, uh, like Jabotinsky, who Ben Gurion referred to as Vladimir Hitler, by the way, were more fascist and militant. And um, I they're crazy also. I mean, they, you know what? Look, Jabotinsky, his politics are like any, he was, he was really uh, right-wing, uh, very fascist influenced. But the problem was that both Jabotinsky and the Ben-Gurians, the right-wing and the left-wing, both, overlaid their politics with Jewish identity. And that's where they're my, that's why they are enemies of mine. They made themselves enemies of mine. They're opposing, both of them are opposing my uh, idea of Jewish identity. They're trying to erase my identity actually and remake it in whatever image they want. Um, Jabotinsky was he wasn't the most militant of the Zionists. Menachem Begin, who was a student of Jabotinsky, was so militant that Jabotinsky kind of disowned him. He was talking about how the whole world is against us. By the way, this Israeli attitude that everybody hates us and we don't care. And there was even a hit song in Israel called The whole world is against us. It's a Zionism is a dark uh it's a dark ideology. It's a self-image of like, it's it really, it's really a bad thing. Um, Menachem Begin started it. Jabotinsky was not for that. He was militant and he was fascist influenced, but he didn't go that far. He he scolded in public Menachem Begin for, for saying this. And Benjamin Netanyahu considers himself a, student of Jabotinsky, and Tanyo's father, a guy by the name Bensi Netanyo, who was a secretary of Jabotinsky and editor of Jabotinsky's magazine, Hadar. No, all of the Zionists from right to left, as far as I'm concerned, are, are basically the same. Uh, Smotrich and these guys have the Zionist ideology, just they fulfill religious rituals. That's what makes them orthodox. But theologically, ideologically, they are uh, as far from me as, uh, let's say, the evangelicals are from the Catholics. I have nothing to do with them. I look at them and, no, they're, they're, not, they're not my people. Uh, could you imagine, uh, you know, Zionists, they're kids, Zion, they're kids, that Zionists, they bring them to Auschwitz for visits, you know? And they they show them shoes of like little kids that that were gassed and 
Yad Vashem. And of course, nobody should forget the Holocaust and nobody should forget any of the uh, genocides that were that happened. The Holodomer and uh, Stalin, a lot of millions of bodies he, he piled up, you know. And that's not the issue, but the issue is making it front and center of your brain that in every Jewish town has to have a Holocaust memorial and have to be Holocaust. Could you imagine? Look, the black people in America were mistreated. There was slavery. There was Jim Crow. There was discrimination, you know, depending upon what time period you're talking about. Terribly mistreated. Could you imagine? What type of personality, what type of community it would create if, let's say, the black people would say, you know what, white people will always hate us. Let's go down south and let's see the nooses, the nooses where they hung black people. Let's stick our heads in them to, to you know, experience what they experienced. And, and the white people are always against us and, and we have to make our own state and our own country. Do you understand what kind of dark, sad personality that would create? And of course, it doesn't matter if you're the startup nation and you invented ways. See, this is what they do. They create a balance. They, they don't want, they want to do the fear mongering and create that darkness inside them. And they balance it out by this uppity ideas of like, okay, we got Tel Aviv and we're at Tel Aviv where LGBT rights are, you know, really strong. And um, we were, we, the startup nation and we invented ways and we have Krav Maga and we win Eurovision song contests. So you kind of get distracted from the dark part of Zionism, even from a liberal perspective, from a non-religious perspective, it's really just completely, it's, it's a hallucination. The entire Zionism is virtual reality. That's what it is. It's virtual reality. None of it is organic. None of it developed naturally. It was all synthesized in order to create this, this Jewish society that is safe from anti-Semitism. That was the goal that is has the same aspirations and the same uh, type of society as the non-Jewish societies, but is very Jewish at the same time. That And it's democratic, and it's a Jewish state. None of this really none of this really go together and if you point out to them the dark side of of their lives of their mindset they'll say well what do you mean we have lgbt rights you know and if you so they have these these they compartmentalize these contradictions and on top of all of that they cannot even give you a self-consistent and internally consistent definition of what a jew is yet their whole lifestyle their all their behavior is based on the is, is is a result of they claim because we're the jewish state and therefore we are xyz we do abc but they cannot even define what a jew is and once you start thinking about it they're like well what if there's going to be another holocaust what if there's going to be another holocaust and when somebody's in danger they don't really think straight the the last thing I want to touch upon, if you have a few more minutes to spare, is mm-hmm. is um, you know, it was funny uh, when I told some some uh, friends of mine that I were ha- that I was having you on the show. Um, one of my my Jewish friends who I, I is pretty staunchly anti-Zionist said, "Oh well, uh, the the Orthodox are only concerned with the the uh, it, it goes against the the." Um, uh, the doctrine about about the, the the Messiah has to come in order for Israel to be, um, you know, reinstated, et cetera, et cetera. 
Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. I think there's also people that have uh, this sort of uh, knee-jerk reaction when they hear Orthodox anti-Zionism. They'll, they'll say, oh, you know, that's they're, they're very pious people. They're very conservative. They're not like us left-wingers. Uh, and I, I think it's unhelpful in a way because, you know, I, I, I grew up around pious people at times. I'm from Pennsylvania, so I had experience with, like, the Amish, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and, and they're, you know, I may not hold the same views as the Amish, but you know, pious people in my experience just sort of want to be left alone and and to do their thing. I, I don't think treating them as like, you know, some otherworldly people that, that we shouldn't hear out at all is, is necessarily helpful. So I guess the last question I wanted to ask of you is, uh, what do you think the biggest misunderstanding people have about Orthodox anti-Zionism and just, you know, Orthodox um, practitioners of Judaism? What do you think the biggest misconceptions are? Well, the biggest misconception about Orthodox anti-Zionism is, is the one you mentioned and the one I mentioned previously, that we all believe in a Jewish state and Jewish supremacy, etc. Just it's a question of when the time, when the time will come. I The last hour that we've spoken, I think I've made it clear that that's not the case at all. That idea was invented by Zionists, as well as some, perhaps some well-meaning, but not very articulate uh, anti-Zionists that know that, but they don't know the history of Zionism, and they don't know, um, they don't understand these uh, concepts that I mentioned. They don't even know Zionism is an is an attack on Jewish identity. They do know this. I mean, this is all they know. So that's that's all they say. But the Zionists jump on this, and they use this to say that we're Zionists. As far as uh, Orthodox Jews in general, look. We're we're normal people with a religion. You know, all I want, as you said, is to be left alone to practice my religion. I'm a regular American. Um, you know, people think there's such a thing as Jewish food. I don't know. If you go into any Orthodox Jewish neighborhood and you look at the restaurants, you'll find more sushi and pizza stores than anything else. There are no delicatessens anymore. I don't know who invented that idea. Um I'm an American. I was a Met fan when I was a kid. I'm not proud of it because uh, it's just nonsense, you know, being a baseball fan. It's any fan. It's not something that we aspire to. But I, I live in a, you know, I, I live in an American society. I, I can. Uh, well, I was all I'm going to say is that if you it's not even a question of one misunderstanding. It's a question of a completely different picture of what Orthodox Jews are. I've dealt with many left-wing people, and I'll tell you, the not every left-winger is a liberal. You know, those people that say this about us, that automatically, because you're Orthodox Jews, well, of course, you're misogynistic, you hate women, you hate... My wife would disagree with that, but uh, you hate women, and you, you're anti-this and anti-that, and you're primitive... That's true until that's ignorance. That's absolute ignorance. They should come and speak to me. And my experience with these left wing anti Zionists is that the first step, getting them to even engage me, is the hardest part because most of them, they don't like Orthodox Jews. Or even if they don't dislike them personally, they really don't like them ideologically. And, and that's really bigotry. But the ones that, for whatever reason, talk to me have a completely different attitude. In other words, the solution to ignorance is is knowledge. If you want to know what an Orthodox Jew is, 
learn what it is the same way you'd learn anything else. It's the same as bigotry against any type of people. You know, there are those that think that all Muslims are, are terrorists. Well, uh, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, I want to thank you again for coming on Parallax Views. Uh, how can my listeners um, keep up with your work, purchase a copy of The Empty Wagon? And I should also ask, uh, why that title, The Empty Wagon? I, we went into the subtitle and why you named it, um, you know, ident- from identity crisis to identity theft, but why The uh, the Empty Wagon? Right. So that's uh, that refers to a famous, very famous story amongst Orthodox Jews, Uh, David Ben-Gurion wanted to assimilate the Orthodox community into the state of Israel. He wanted them to be cooperative with him and his Zionists. So he went to one of the saintly leaders of the Orthodox Jews, a man by the name of Rabbi Avram Karelitz. He was known uh, for the name of his book. He was called the Chazonish. And Ben-Gurion went to him, uh, and he, by the way, he took off his glasses before he um, spoke to Ben-Gurion so as not to look at the, in the face of an evil person. Um, and he met with him, and Ben-Gurion said, how could we work together? So the Chazanish reminded him of a law in the Talmud that says that in a, if you have a one-lane narrow road and you have two wagons coming at each other on that one-lane road, The question is, which wagon has to move aside so the other one can pass? And the Talmud says that if one wagon is full and the other wagon is empty, the empty wagon has to move aside so that the full wagon should pass. And said Rabbi Karelitz to to Ben-Gurion, Zionism is an empty wagon. Judaism, we are a full wagon. There is no, you guys got to move over and let us continue and live our lives. Ben-Gurion was so upset, he got so insulted. He said, we are not an empty wagon. We are not an empty wagon. He got all like animated. But that is a famous story. And therefore, the empty wagon has uh, been uh, used as a representation for Zionism in general in the Orthodox world. We look at it as an empty wagon. That's really what it is. And like I said, how can my listeners keep up with your work? I know, I know that you work with a a, a foundation uh, meant to uh, help us understand different states of mind in the Middle East. Maybe you could just right. promote that and, and also how people can keep up with your work. Right. So that's the International Council for Middle East Studies, uh, ICMES.net. Um, I'm the only Orthodox Jew on that. We have Jews, uh, Christians, uh, Muslims, actually, even uh, Palestinian or two. Um, on the board of directors, and it's it's a secular organization. We speak about the Middle East and things uh, relevant to it. Um, if somebody wants to get in touch with me, they should go to my uh, podcast's website, committinghighreason.com, um, and you can get in touch with me there. The book, The Empty Wagon, is currently out of print. We are soon going to reprint it, the fifth printing, in... Uh, uh, the Orthodox community, it was, uh, I'm very proud of its success. Um, but give it a couple of months because we're printing in China now, you know, due to inflation. That's what they're doing. The guys are printing it in China. So um, give it a couple of months and then um, go to Amazon.com and you should see uh, a whole bunch of places to get it. Thank you again, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, for coming on Parallax Views. Thank you for having me.
Well, that does it for this edition of Parallax Views. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rabbi Jacob Shapiro. As always, if you appreciate the work here I do at Parallax Views, please consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. One more time, that's patreon.com slash parallaxviews. And with that being said... Until next time, you've been listening to Parallax Views with Parallax Views to Parallax Views with The way out is not simply to say don't do it, just to prohibit. If nothing else, if we don't do it, others will be doing it like great. So you know we have to confront the problem. But no, basically, basically, I'm, I know of the great anxiety problems, new forms of control, but it's also new forms of freedom. This is why I always emphasize that uh, uh, internet and all this new digital stuff, it's a very ambiguous phenomenon, but it's the field of struggle. New forms of enslavement, but at the same time, new incredible forms of freedom. We have to accept the fight with no nostalgia for old, allegedly more authentic communities or whatever. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.